here we are again. Uh, we're back in the swamp. Recording, I think it will probably be a bonus episode. We'll try and get this out reasonably quick. Although, the whole thing could be dated within a matter of hours. That's the kind of situation that we're in. So I just wanted to start and talk about something I saw recently. I saw this clip of Angela Davis being interviewed by this British journalist who was asking her, what's, what's going what's gonna to actually come of this? Like, what is this? Where is this going? Um, and she didn't seem to have a clear answer, but she... In the course of her answer, she answered it well, but at one point she said, you know, I've never seen something to the effect, um, I haven't seen anything on the, along the lines of this, like anything like this before, and this gives us a great opportunity to imagine like a world beyond policing and a different way to approach like criminal justice in America and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yes, I mean, there, there is a huge opening here, but part of what kind of annoyed me about this was didn't we have like 50 years to like imagine something else? I mean, you know, like, cause what else was going on anyway? And this is a problem. And I think it connects to what a lot of people are feeling. I've heard this from a bunch of different people, including like, I know, like I was listening to, I listened to the emancipation stream and like even Varn seemed a little bit unmoored by everything that's going on. And I think that's because, you know, we're all used to examining a relatively stable system. Right. And, taking that apart and picking it apart and doing that is very it's easy to do because the elements are static they're in they're in relatively similar places as time goes on um it's linear whereas now everything is up in the air everything's in motion and so all these different elements that are normally maybe like separate uh separate things are are, are crashing into each other and combining and you know, it's it's very unmooring, and part of the problem with that is that, that it's almost like in those moments, what you want is something at hand that you can grab onto, that you could point to as you know, this is what to do about police, and this is the direction to take things. Even to kind of see that, like the process of historical improvisation, can be very dangerous, even in instances where you have organizations and subjects able to commit to it. Like the Russian Revolution, right? Like, how great would it have been if they had actually had, like, some kind of model that was applicable to Russia at the time that they could have implemented instead of having to wing it, you know, in through the, through the 20s and 30s, right? Um, and especially even now when, you know, wherever this goes, there aren't going to be, like, sustainable organizations that can hold the state accountable to implement the things that we even want, even if we knew what we wanted. Um, and furthermore... It's also hard to talk about because, you know, there's a fog to all of this that naively you might think that like in, I know at least at a certain point, especially maybe in like the earlier part of the last decade, you think, oh, wow, the internet, it's, it's, it's a communication hub for the whole world. It's opening society up to what's going on. Look at the art spring and we can do that here and blah, blah, blah. But I feel like maybe, I don't know if I'm more attentive to what's going on right now or I've learned more from the past, but it seems like it's worse. Like the discourse does not seem to communicate what's going on in any kind of like accurate way. Right. Um, it's just as there, there's a lot of that's, that's being obscured there and everything becomes a proxy for everybody's arguments about other shit. You know, like what happens with what's happening in Seattle is a way to own somebody. You know, it's not like a thing that needs to be examined and weighed on its own merits. <laughs> 
And you, and this isn't new, of course. You see that like there's a great scene in in Frida, where the Salt Lake, um, the muralists. One's I think uh, I forget the, I forget the other muralist name. But he's played by Antonio Banderas, but he's a he's a tanky, and Diego Rivera is more of like a middle of the way socialist, and they're arguing, uh, and, and about the Soviet Union as a proxy for all of their own like ideological positions, but neither of them really know what's going on. Anyway, all this is a long-winded way of saying, like, I figured we thought it would be a good idea if we're going to talk about what's going on to maybe talk to somebody who's in Minneapolis and relatively clued in to what's going on there and could maybe shed some light. I especially feel this way because, you know, in the previous, like, Joy of Sex episode that we just released, I felt like I learned a lot hearing about from on the ground kind of what it's like in Kansas City, and I was able to kind of picture what was happening there in a way that you don't just get from looking at internet discourse. Anyway, this is a long-winded way of introducing Cole. Uh, well, thank you for guesting on the show. Uh, hopefully we can have we can shed some light on what's going on and have a productive discussion. Yeah, welcome, Cole. Thank you all for having me. I'm, I'm really, really excited to be here and talk to you guys. Totally. Yeah, I guess just sort of like bouncing off of where Jake was going. Um, I mean, I guess there's a number of directions we could go in. But uh, maybe we should just start with, you know, like what your interaction with the protests has been, um, you know, without giving too much information, of course. Definitely. Um, So I have not been on the front lines uh, nearly as much. Um, I've done some supply runs, but most of what I've been doing has been more engaged with the mutual aid projects that have arisen out of this moment, and also some kind of really nascent um, educational community organizing projects around police abolition as a goal. Um, And that's very much based in this kind of really insane political situation that we have going on right now that we'll talk about more, I'm sure, as the episode progresses. Um, But... That is my that is my kind of the capacity at which I'm engaged with the protests, and also um, I've been involved specifically a good amount at the Sheraton Hotel that people occupied um, around like uh, in the last days of May. That's kind of like especially good because you know I'm into the like I'm I'm into like the sort of moral cheerleading that goes on when you see a fucking anti-cop riot. I mean, I, you know, I definitely get like a girl chubby over seeing this shit get burned down. Uh, this society is shitty, deserves like some revenge on the state. And I can appreciate that. But having, you know, dealt so much with, you know, revolutionary strategy and that whole tradition and dealing with this kind of deep skepticism that it's worth anything, you know? <laughs> the one thing that I do get from that revolutionary, you know, Marxist quote unquote tradition is that, you know, not having like permanent organizations of the proletariat means that proletariat's kind of defenseless and that it can go on the offensive every so often. um, But, you know, a lot of that kind of power and organization, you know, tends not to last. It tends not to be able to like, like whether, you know, to keep its content over time. And um, while I'm definitely, you know, I definitely support the people on the front lines, you know, our, our soldiers in black, as they say, fighting the cops. <laughs> um, I think, uh, 
I think some of the most difficult questions are, you know, around, like, tactics and sort of, like, trying to bring strategy into the picture. Because it's not so much that, like, I've said this before on air, but, you know, people don't riot as part of, like, a strategic package for the most part, or even as a tactic. It's just not that... It's like, it's almost a mistake to look at it that way. However, it has, you know, an emergent quality that can be much more, much more useful than most of the shit we normally talk about, like Marxists normally talk about. Um, that's, you know, the substance of the communizer kind of stuff that Swampside has always been responding to. But, you know, like, what do we really have to say to it? You know, what are the kinds of organization that can come out of this, you know, how, if, if this is class struggle, like, and I think, you know, it's the only kind of class struggle that I actually know about in my lifetime, like, um, you know, what, what do you do as like useless, doughy, commie intellectuals? Like, how, how do you aid this sort of thing? Um, you know, what kind of organization is possible out of this sort of thing? Well, I, I, I will say kind of the way I've been looking at it is more symptomatically. In other words, you know, like this is this is a symptom of a situation that is becoming increasingly unstable, right? It's another it's another signpost along the way because any avenues for collective action and let alone uh, reform have been mostly cut off in American society. So, yeah, things will just kind of boil over at a certain point. And then you get you get shit like this, and it's I mean, it's it's hilarious for me to watch people be moralistic about it and debate the efficacy of of burning stuff as a tactic. Like yeah, you know, burning things can be dangerous because fires can spread out of control. But it's like it's an out of control situation by its very nature, right? I think that's one reason why you don't see people getting particularly moralistic about you know basically what is the end of social distancing, right? Yeah, I, I, I even wanted to push back, Jake, on what you were saying earlier about how like unreliable and bad all the takes on this have been. Because, yeah, within a certain like realm of political people who are always talking about politics and their like worldview and like, I don't know, self-esteem is all wrapped up in it. Yes, they found a way to make this riot about them. But I kind of don't even feel like that's a dominant response for once in my fucking life. I kind of right. feel like there's broader social resonance. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree. What, what I'm, to clarify, maybe what I was saying earlier, uh, it's not the takes that the takes are bad or good or, or any better or worse than they've ever been. It's trying to look at Twitter or social media or the discourse to get a clear understanding of what's happening. I kind of felt this way during like the Syrian civil war and Rojava and all that stuff, where we just have to kind of accept that there's a fog of. There's a fog. There's a fog, and and there's a, there's missing data that pre- prevents us from having really a clear picture of what's happening. Um, For sure. But even if, though if, this I, is in America, I think if you watch a live stream, you have a clearer understanding of what's happening. I mean, Cole, I know you have a lot to say about this, or at least just you know some basic correctives to the way people have been uh, talking about this. Maybe we could start there and move on to other stuff. Yeah, I think um, just to echo what you two are saying, um, I was having this kind of argument with a friend a couple days ago about this Marxist point of social being determining social consciousness. 
And their argument was essentially like, look, you know, um, there are organizations in this city, MPD 150, Reclaim the Block, Black Visions Collective, that have been pushing this idea of police abolition, or at least police defunding, for years now. That is like, you know, they've been doing years of showing up at city council meetings, doing shows at galleries and talking to people about imagining an abolitionist future, readings at lefty bookstores. And, and so, you know, how can you kind of dismiss that groundwork? And I was like, well, I don't dismiss the groundwork. You know, I think a lot of that stuff is why that demand in particular got picked up in this moment. But if there's one thing that this thing proves, it's that one day, you know, one night of actual revolt is worth years of that stuff, you know, years of like nose to the grindstone um, activism. And that kind of experience, you know, to your point, Esri, about like seeing the value of that, you know, um, I think the people who are like poo-pooing this thing just are total fucking morons and don't know what they're talking about. Um, so that would be my opening kind of broadside. And then the other thing that I really want to like drive home about this. So like I said, I haven't been out on the front lines a ton, but so I was there on, uh, on the 27th um, before the auto zone was had its windows broken. And I saw what I saw is like so contradictory to the like outside agitators narrative. Um, there were basically young people from the neighborhood, um, like majority black people, not all, um, rioting uh, right alongside. Um, you know, older kind of mostly white kind of like anarchish looking people. It's hard to tell what, uh, where people are coming from in these moments, but that was kind of the visual like impression of it was that there was this really strong unity between people who were kind of had a, this particular political perspective and people who did not, you know, um, the, some of the, stud jacket wearing bandana face folks rolled the dumpster up and there was like cheers from the crowd and they like pushed it up to the barricade, you know, to, to, for people to duck behind to avoid rubber bullets. And on the sidelines was this, like, you literally could not have pictured the more classic, like Karen, you know, props. <laughs> cropped blonde hair she was wearing like a cute like graphic tee and bike shorts and as as some like kids ran up and threw rocks she turned around pointed and was like hey no more of that and i was cool. like that is the kind of that is the outside agitators. You know what I mean? That is the <laughs> outsider response yeah, to this. The outside de-escalator, right. Exactly. Um, and so so that what I saw was just completely contradictory to this outside agitator narrative. And, you know, you can look at, you don't need to take the word of activists for this. There have been reports from uh, 
NPR news and from a local news station, KSTP, basically saying that the like our governor Walls said 80% of people who were arrested, you know, were from outside the community. It's complete horseshit. It's under 20%. Um, and yeah, it, it's just, it's the outside agitator narrative is complete bullshit. And if you bought into it all, you're a mark. I mean, I was going to say for, from my uh, maybe less uh, high stakes perspective here in Tampa, I've been to a few things here. Um, I went to one that was kind of like the, the probably the biggest, the first big one. And it was put on by Black Lives Matter. And it was in, I was basically in the hood. It was on Martin Luther King uh, in Tampa. And uh, there were a couple things, actually. One, it was at the point where that narrative was beginning. And there's actually a video that kind of went viral from it where one of the marshals was, like, yelling at the white people, like, this is not your hood. If you're right, we're doing this in concert with Black Lives Matter. Follow me. And, like, some older dude from the neighborhood was came up was just, like, he's, like, uh... Now you want don't start no shit <laughs> and then it's like you know and, and it just it was such like kind of a perfect illustration of you know yeah karen basically coming in and like spoiling everybody's good time but the other thing is um I mean, granted, I probably looked like one of like the outside like anarcho agitators because I had I was dressed in all black and I had like goggles and a mask and an umbrella. But mostly, what I observed, I observed people like there was literally like a car with a bunch of dudes from the neighborhood, like young guys. Uh, some of, one of them's ha- hanging out out the sunroof, and they're all they're holding like baseball bats and weapons, like driving the car around the march. And it's like, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know the people who did the rioting, like a couple days before that, uh, it was not just a bunch of uh, you know crust punks like busting from Gainesville. You know what I mean? Like, and it's no coincidence that when the when there was rioting here, it was kind of in that same general area. Like it was in the like the poorer, um, more ethnically diverse part of the city. And so this idea that this stuff is coming from outside agitate. I mean, it's. It's just part of the general corrosive, um, you know, Bernie Bros. It's Bernie Bros. shit. Like Bernie Bros. are at it again. Now they're out right, to right. Black Lives Matter because they because you know like like Bernie, they're not intersectional enough. Uh, unlike me, a white woman. Right. <laughs> and um, I mean, it really is a parasitic corruption narrative, is what it is. That like there are you know these bad infiltrators. It's very similar to right-wing conspiracy theories. It is structurally anti-Semitic in that, like, post-owned kind of way. Like, well, because they don't want to be seen telling black people not to riot. You know, so they have to, like, invent, like, some, you know, they have to invent the Bernie bro and have, have the Bernie bro in there uh, putting his fingers together and smiling and starting fires to get, get the black man in trouble, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm sure Bernie bros exist, but I never, like, really met one. As far as outside agitators go, like... During Occupy, like, if I if I had, like, a little more joie de vivre and I, I was a little more, like, you know, ready to throw a brick, like, I would have definitely qualified as an outside agitator. I drove down to Oakland, you know, to go to the riot and shit, to go to the, the, the lockdown and the protest, uh, what is it, the, to go to the uh, highway shutdown and protests and shit. 
like I definitely went with the intention to you know like go like support something you know like support a revolt you know maybe have some fun like I've done that and there are definitely people from Davis who had a little more joie de vivre and were into smashing shit some of them were white and then some of the, and some of them did dumb shit during Occupy <laughs> like yeah. you know fuck up, fuck things up in Chinatown like I do remember that stuff however what's really important is that like between Occupy and let's say the Ferguson Solidarity Riots and like protests like um which were you know like only separated by a couple years by that point I was super burnt out on the whole like form you know this is really when I started to become more of a Leninist and I was kind of you know upset with the sort of communizer like framework because I felt like it was so limited um and I was sort of like sour on it. But what I heard is that the makeup of the protest was very different. So like, okay, you know, are there people that come in from out of town? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I was one of them. But like now, in the Ferguson, first of all, the Ferguson Solidarity protests had more participation by black youth and the people targeted by this. And then now, are you fucking kidding me? Like, again, speaking as an outside agitator, like, <laughs> we don't we don't hold the cards in this one, okay? That's what makes this one super special. This one has extremely, you know, broad like general resonance. Like the community affected is really se- really seems to be a part of this one. Yeah. And to your point, Esri, um, there are people who came from greater Minnesota or from other states to take advantage of this kind of thing in some way. Um, there were people who found like threatening notes left on their windshield. There were people who found, or there was a, a kind of drive-by shooting at a local uh, Jamaican restaurant, Pimento, that was organizing mutual aid projects. Um, so there were, you know, people coming from outside, but that, if anything, that is proof of the real social energy of this thing in an organic way because they wouldn't you wouldn't see people coming you know to Minneapolis like that um if there wasn't some shit going down already yeah. you know like that is just the the argument that people make of like oh there's people from outside so that means that this is completely manufactured is ass backwards the opposite is the case Right. And as if there aren't like a bunch of like damn ops who are, you know, will swarm on anything like this, you know, immediately doing the exact same. Like any any rupture, or any event like this is going to draw in a diverse sort. And I was going to say, yeah, about the outside agitators thing. The only thing I've really seen that used for is to basically keep people on the sidewalk. Like that's been the practical import of it um, on the ground. And I do remember Occupy and debates about, you know, uh, diversity of tactics were some of the most corrosive and divisive debates that we've had. And, you know, it's um, it's sad to see. You hate to see that it's still a thing, you know. You hate to see it, folks. The, well, the thing about it, uh, Occupy is that smashing shit up did not have, like, broader social resonance. Like, in Ferguson... 
it when when it happened in Ferguson, it was popularly controversial. It's different now, after you know five years of people saying Black Lives Matter and pe- more people thinking about this issue. When it po- I, uh, again, I don't really know what's different about you know, black man gets murdered in twenty fourteen, black man gets murdered in twenty twenty. What's different? You know what I mean? It does seem I, like honestly, people I think time, learning yeah. about this is kind of like, I mean, time fucking time like time is the question you know like my my provisional answer is that like this being in consciousness like uh, has made like you know a more aggressive form of anti-racism part of an obviously human humanist package of values like in a way that it just wasn't when i was younger it just i can't believe this many people give a shit now it's it feels like a miracle I mean, well, there's a few factors, too. I mean, one, I, yeah, I do think, Tom, because it's like the first big one of these was Rodney King, you know, and white America was able to lie to itself about that one, you know, because, hey, that, you know, that was the first one. I mean, it, then, it wasn't the first one, though. There was the Watts riots, you know. There, but the, there wasn't like a, I'm talking about talking about like a police beating slash and or murder on tape. That's what I'm talking about, like brought to like a, a, all of the all of America, basically. Like everybody ex- saw that fucking tape. I'll accept that in our lifetime, it's it's new. In in this cycle of struggles, you might say. I mean, if there were if there was like a like a similar phenomenon, I mean, I guess you, maybe you saw a lot of beatings like during the Nam stuff, like on in TV and stuff like that. But there's, yeah. But what right, the form of Rodney King is different because it's like it's it is in and of itself like it's a video, you know, like the guy getting like you know Eric Garner getting choked out. That's a video. Like each one of them is basically this particular thing that people see and are moved by um and there's just been so many of those that it gets to a certain point where it's it's harder it's more more difficult for people to lie to themselves and say that it's isolated incidents um i think that's i think that's a factor i think there is also the factor that um not only um the economic ramifications that have been triggered by the shutdowns but also the shutdown itself there's definitely an element where one people want an excuse to go out that doesn't that's socially acceptable right that's, that's it's not it's not one by priority i assume you mean it's just no i'm not listening to these top i'm just saying like i'm talking about elements here i think that is an element and i think there's also an element of and uh you know you know put on my gang weed hat here like they're like the bread and circuses are, are gone more the circuses than bread but you know there aren't concerts there aren't games there aren't these um there aren't these uh, kind of safe, like simula of like collective action, right? So there's a lot more people who don't have anything to do, so they go do this. You know, I'm not saying they don't sound sincere and they don't believe in it, but I no, think no, that's yeah, why sure. you're getting. It's harder to be checked out. Yeah, and there's also the economic like downturn, and right. you know, people like dealing with the uh, effects of that, maybe losing their job, like, or just scraping by be, worse. And- or finally, Being that check to check just fell. Up. Yeah, that, or that check to check life just fell apart. Like just now, you know, that's kind of yeah. what's happening in my world. Like, um, like I'm moving right now, you know, downstream of a, a causal, <laughs> causal kind of chain set off by coronavirus. You know, like I, you know, I can't stay here no more. Like, uh, my roommates are moving out. Just, it's over. Like <laughs> we gotta go. <laughs> yeah. So. 
anyway, like we uh, we brought a guest on. He's talked for like five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not normally this talkative on my own podcast. Cole, I apologize. You know, you're um, really. I not. love it. I want to see the Jake come out more. You're like <laughs> the fucking glue that holds this thing together. We don't get enough of you. Oh, yeah. I'm the garnish. <laughs> um. So. <laughs> um. So uh, maybe this is a good um segue until you, you talked about you were involved in like mutual aid networks and stuff uh can you talk about that absolutely yeah i mean it's really hard to describe so um the center of this thing was on lake and minnehaha which is kind of the commercial center of south minneapolis like c- central south minneapolis Cub is the the Cub and the Aldi in that kind of shopping complex are the two like main grocery stores that feed that whole community, and they're both shut down somewhat indefinitely. So that was kind of the provo- provoking urge for a lot of people to say, "How the fuck are we going to get people in this neighborhood fed?" and the, the way that it's happened has just been incredible because it's not just, I mean, you know, you've got, I would guess, probably like a good amount of support for, you know, like the the rioting and like the burning and looting and stuff. You know, I think people are pretty, like the majority of people here are pretty down with that. Um, but not everyone feels comfortable showing up for that stuff, you know. So this is a way for people who are scared of that to, to feel like they're showing up in some capacity. And it's been completely ad hoc and completely overwhelming for any kind of institution that's tried to organize this stuff. That's a good sense in that, you know, it means that there's like, like just picture a parking lot covered in full grocery bags. Um, I've seen several different images that are just that over the past few days. Um, And like there are kind of local worker centers and DSA is trying to, you know, get groceries, you know, get an organized like grocery run thing together. Um, There's like all types of nonprofits are trying to do it. And every one of them, just ends up being like, fuck, I don't, just fucking put the bags in the parking lot. You know, like that's that's the best that they can do because the response has been so um, overwhelming. And like, you know, you go to like grocery stores in Bloomington and like the beans are damn near cleared out, you know. Um, so that is kind of one aspect of it. <clears throat> Another aspect, the kind of thing that's organically emerged out of this moment is because of some of the fears around like white supremacist violence, um, people decided to get together into neighborhood kind of safety groups. And for like, you know, uh, through like late March and like the first few days of June, there were nightly patrols by people, despite the curfew that uh, our governor instituted and the real threat of, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that video of like a woman just hanging out on her porch, filming national guard rolling by 
and then they're like light her up and they shoot her with these rubber bullets yeah um yeah. just crazy you know even for people who are just hanging out on you know, on their front stoop you know there's a real risk so it was it was a dangerous you know i think a, a risky thing to take on but people felt strongly enough about you know community safety to take that on um I've been involved a little bit in my kind of local group, neighborhood group that's organized. I would say there's probably like 40 to 50 people who are like really actively plugged in and then like a ton more who are just on the discord or on the WhatsApp. I mean, it's all kind of like, like organic, like block wide, like group chats kind of coming together in the park. Like it's all very ad hoc. That response is interesting because there's some tension there because like in my neighborhood, for example, there is a real, I think, need for, I think the impetus for the people on my block is that they were worried about Ilhan Omar's office and a mosque. And, and, you know, if there are white supremacists in the neighborhood, that would be the targets, you know? So that impetus, that urge was very understandable to me. The other thing that showed up in these meetings clearly was that people also were scared for their property. They were scared of stuff getting burned. Um, this is a neighborhood with a pretty high rate of home ownership. And there's definitely a lot of like anxiety around that. So these are kind of contradictory things that are emerging, but they're emerging nonetheless. Um, and then of course, the big thing that has captured like social media narrative around this stuff is the Sheraton. That was a project that organizers kind of loosely affiliated with this thing called um, Can't Stay Home Without Housing had been working on for a long time. Um, the city had marshaled some resources to get homeless people. You know, we have a ton of, you know, tent encampments here. It's looking more and more like Seattle every day. Um, the city has been working to get homeless people into hotels because you know in response to the covid pandemic but just has not done enough and so people were pressuring this owner of this failing uh sheraton uh just a few blocks down from lake and minnehaha uh to give up his space um and to allow them to kind of occupy it after the curfew was implemented, there was even more intensive a fear around like what would happen to local homeless people. And they pressed down further. I really don't understand how, you know, it wasn't like the Paris commune or like, or something like people weren't like breaking down the doors and like flooding in. There was like a negotiation with the owner and I'm still pretty fucking baffled by how he let this happen. Um, there are three reasons that I've heard that are kind of contradictory. One is that, you know, the hotel was pretty much he, like fucked financially. So he just didn't give a shit what happened to it. Another reason was that he kind of had some degree of kind of activist commitments or he was kind of a considered himself like a lefty or a progressive. And huh. third, that uh, he was kind of implicitly threatened that if he did not allow homeless people and you know kind of the organizers of this project to come into the hotel that it might just happen to get burned down too 
Um, <laughs> so some mix of those factors led to this kind of some combination of those factors led to a occupation of that hotel that's gone on for almost two weeks now. I've been down there a number of times. Once again, <clears throat> it's extremely ad hoc. People are trying to, but but the the basement is just absolutely stuffed with like donations of food and like toiletries, and it's just uh, unbelievable. It's a pile of shit like you've never fucking seen in your life. And um, there are like, you know, 150 volunteers showing up every day to coordinate logistics to make sure you know people are um, getting fed, you know, getting water um, to like help people uh, with like finding a safe space to use drugs if that's what they are choosing to do. Um, There's, there's just an insane kind of effort uh, from the community to hold this space for the city as a whole. And especially for the people that don't have anywhere else to go. Um, Over the last couple days that has come into that has been like really significantly threatened um ryan properties which is the management company that owns the whole complex of buildings there on lake in chicago which is the intersection that it's on um basically wants everyone gone because one person uh od'd and and passed away um they're also concerned about trash piling up outside of the dumpster because the trash collection has stopped collect chosen to stop collecting the trash from there. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, they just are, we're looking for any excuse to tell people to fuck off, but they, you know, this kind of the situation where someone OD'd gave them the opportunity to do that without looking like with some kind of, they felt like they had some kind of justification for it. Um, so they, there's been no police presence yet, as far as I know, but the future of that is up in the air. Right before I got on the stream with you guys, I was trying to like marshal people to like get the fuck down there and try to like help out. And I'm probably going to do that after I hop off. So that is kind of the scope of the mutual aid and like spontaneous community stuff that's been going on. I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. That, the only, like, comparable thing I can think of right now is the city hall, occup- or the Capitol Hill occupation in Seattle. I mean, maybe there's more. I, I you know, again, I've been packing a lot, so. <laughs> well, what, what, what is heartening to hear, I mean, that's tremendously heartening to hear, but also that maybe, you know, outside of this instance of the riot, there might be some other, maybe more, enduring form of like you know collectivity and solidarity that's stoked you know beyond this Um, yeah which yeah i mean obviously that's not you know that's not the mythic party we're all waiting for but you know it could be a start of of something that can you know maybe develop locally you know it's the engine Um, of class struggle so i mean solidarity and like uh the ability for people to trust each other the spirit of cooperation in like a game theory sense if you don't have that you don't have a movement you just right Especially, you know, now when the if the bottom continues to fall out of the economy, and there are a lot of indicators that seem to show that it will, um, that sort of thing is going to become increasingly important. You know, um, I want to maybe, maybe I wonder if, uh, 
I want to I want to ask a little bit more about maybe your observation of kind of what I want to say kind of the activist scene or the left. What what is the milieu kind of like in the Twin Cities in general before this, and how much do you think any of that feeds into what's been happening? Could you answer that, or is that is that a bit much? Or no, I I totally can. Um, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but this is one of the things that I want to stake out is that I I really do think that the reason why defund or abolish the police got taken up as slogans um, across the country at this point is because of the groundwork that organizations were doing um, around this kind of idea of police abolition here specifically. Um, I could be wrong about that, but like, I, uh, there are a number of organizations like MPD 150, um, Reclaim the Block, Black Visions Collective. Um, those are the kind of main ones. Um, they're kind of, they are really these, MPD 150, I will say at least, I don't know as much about the other two organizations. Um, but I just actually had a conversation with someone from MPD 150 this morning. It's it's pretty much the initiative of just a small group of activist, organizer-minded, um, you know, artists and like doughy intellectuals, as you said, Ezra. <laughs> um, Extra doughy, exactly. And they have been, you know, they're not, they're not explicitly kind of socialist or anarchist, but they, they published this report called Enough is Enough a few years back that was a review of the history of the Minneapolis police. And um, a, it's really fucking good. And I think that you should read it if you're interested about how we got here, because they, they do a really good job of kind of explicating how there has been in the city this cycle of outrage, reform, and rollback of reform. And it just keeps happening. And like they've done a really good job at kind of putting that out into, you know, the the milieu, you know, and <clears throat> mostly into the milieu of like, you know, uh activists and like nonprofit employees, but shit, you know, trickles down. And like, um, what I've noticed is that like, I mean, it's, it's the classic thing about like prefigurative politics. It's like all that you have to grab onto is what already exists, you know? And yes, I think people completely were people at the who are actually there at these this uprising um, were completely uninspired by this like you know uh, any kind of reform and so this idea of just fucking get rid of them felt appealing and it was out there you know and so that is like that I think is the activist milieu that's had the biggest role in shaping the narrative in the situation. Um, other players, there is, so I can run you through the players. Um, Twin Cities DSA is 
like put out a, a platform um, a few days after the protest started that was like, you know, indict and convict all four officers. And then like a liberal city councilman uh, from like the, who represents the downtown business district said, uh, disband MPD. So they got outflanked by someone named Steve. They got left flanked by someone named Steve Fletcher. <laughs> um, and they're, they're reeling, you know, they don't really know what to do. They're trying to organize mutual aid stuff. Um, so I haven't seen socialist alternative at all. Um, we have a big contingent of people from Freedom Road Socialist Organization, and they have a ton of like front groups that work on like police stuff here. And they actually have taken a pretty hard stance against defund the police um, huh. for reasons that are not like completely in insane. Um, their point has basically been that like the embrace of city council people of this like idea is completely disingenuous and they're going to like do like a year long review process to try to like see if they can fizzle it out as much as possible and then you know propose like a 12% budget cut if that you know at the end of it all um, I mean reasonable criticism but again you know what's what's their option what are they and they're for? what they're putting forward is community control of the police um, which is like their old like kind of progressive labor party like demand that they've been pushing for 50 fucking years now but like yeah. that can get like game gamified too I mean, absolutely that's, uh, that's yeah. the thing like that's that's where civilian advisory boards come from you know it's like oh we'll give you community control of the police you know and like if there's an idea that's like crazier than that like a city would get rid of its police department it's that a city would allow its armed force to be controlled by workers in any significant way yeah. like that is the only crazier idea than you know disbandment of police force um so they're just they're just not really engaged and and um what has started happening already is that like the star tribune which is our local paper published an article like some activists disagree about defunding the police you know, and so they're being used as these pawns in this like right wing right. media narrative game um, to kind of like be like, there's reasonable disagreements between even people on the far left on this issue. Right. So far left peacocking with conservative talking points with totally nations. Totally. Yeah. They've just they've just they're just being used and they're not engaging in this moment in any way that I think is meaningful. So the. I have a pretty withering view of the existing like left milieu um, and their role in this. And, and also to kind of go back to these organizations that have been involved in um, stirring up pressure for abolition. Um, <clears throat> Black Visions Collective is one of them. I, I think that it, they are like a cool organization. I know people in that organization. Um, and I was really disappointed with what happened on Sunday. So on Saturday, a lot of you probably saw um, the rally that went through Northeast Minneapolis that ended in our mayor, Jacob Fry, getting like publicly cucked by a huge crowd of 
protesters chanting go home as he like walked around haggard and like drunk looking <laughs> trying to like pat his heart um to prove to us that he had one um and that was fucking awesome you know what i mean like i i thought that that was a really good and that was organized by black visions and that was like a really powerful moment and a really important like propaganda and like morale victory but then the next day at powderhorn park they had a meeting with city count nine out of 13 of our city council members who have now pledged to defund mpd which means they've pledged to start an investigatory process into thinking about considering uh the ramifications of what defunding mpd might mean um they held a, a, a meeting in the park with those people and just handed them the mic. And it was shocking to me because these are people, you know, all of the council members in the city who are completely on board with this now voted to raise MPD's budget by $2 million fucking six months ago. So it, it's a completely, like, the only reason why they're on this train is because they're worried that if they don't get on, they're going to get run over like Jacob was. Um, but that doesn't mean that we like elevate their voices. You know, that doesn't mean that we like just hand them the mic and let them give their story of what happens. You know, like what the organizer did to Jacob Fry on Saturday was what the orientation should be like, yes or no. Are you going to commit to um, defunding the police or abolishing the police? And uh, it was just sad for me to see because I think that um, a lot of people are really excited about this moment, understandably, but I think that that kind of excitement is creating a situation in which they're making strategic decisions that are not good and decisions that might very well, you know, we have to keep the pressure on these people. So that's kind of the picture of, the players in in this fight and yeah it's 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 not looking good for these institutions i don't think i i, I would not bet on any of these guys being the party uh, yeah sure I, I, I mean I, but i will say that like what you were said what you said one of the first things you said were you know uh, that group kind of playing into the idea of you know defund the police is like a demand i can't believe that because one thing i have observed and you see it with stuff like this is that locally um, the group that called for the riot for, for the protest that led to the only riots we had here um, was SDS which is a tanky front group here still I think um, I don't really know anybody in it anymore but I'm assuming it still is um, probably still is they yeah they called for it and that was the one that ended up uh, going completely insane and then the big march shortly after that and on MLK, uh, that was called by Black Lives Matter Tampa, and there were a couple. There was, one, uh, I think, one before that that was pretty big too, called by the New Black Panther Party, <laughs> right? And you know, it like people went to those because the you know those are the organizations that exist, and so someone had to call for it, and they just happened to be there, you know. So you know these things simply by virtue of just kind of being a place to plant a flag or whatever. I think it end up, you know, having punching above their weight, basically, you know. Yeah. Somebody has to do it. 
yeah, and the sort of like, I don't know, it's ugly, but the sort of like um, social group selection process of who survives that stuff usually relies on, you know, grift and drift. And so, yeah, like famously, there's been distance between some of the, you know, activists who participated in some the initial Ferguson solidarity riots or just Ferguson and like the Black Lives Matter sort of nonprofit, like, you know, emergent layer or something. Like, there are tensions there. Um, anyway, I, 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 like, kind of doubling back a little bit, I wanted to chew on defunding an abolition of police. Part of what, um, part of what you said that got my attention initially, Cole, was when people were talking about abolish the police as a demand and, you know, what that would mean. Um, like... I think at that point, and maybe I'm misremembering, that it wasn't just to fund the police that was being kind of like investigated by the city council, but it was also abolishing the police. Is that is that true, or is this, or is that like a part of a fever dream that I still feel like I'm having? The language that they're using is disband because I think abolition disband. sounds a little bit scary for them. But I I do a, think a, a whiff of off hay bong. <laughs> Exactly. They don't, they don't want to lean too far into that stuff. Um, I think that that is what they are investigating. And I think that that's a real possibility right now. Um, and we can get into, if you want, some of the kind of idiosyncratic factors of the situation yeah. in the city. Um, so, you know, the, the, like, Marxist point in this that is obviously true is like you need a body of armed men like it the if capitalists are ruling society if the logic of capitalism is coordinating what's going on you're never going to have a situation in which there's not going to be some group of people enforcing property ownership and uh, you know what a lot of the like right DSA people have put out there and a lot of other people, you know, I think it's a, it's a reasonable thing to consider is um, that there might be some kind of growth in um, private security firms. You know, we might get Amazon cops um, if, if this thing actually happens. Yeah, and, <clears throat> exactly. I mean, I was actually kind of even surprised that I've seen a lot of graphics where policing, just how large of a like local budget it tends to be. Um, even I was kind of shocked by the extent of it, because uh, there's some places where it's most of the budget is cops, and that makes sense because that's one of the last things that like rich people still need from the state. And so I guess it would just be a question of, I mean, I guess yeah, if you if you just kind of had less policing overall, they probably would resort to more like intense forms of private security. I don't know if they'd want to do that because that's you know putting those costs onto the individual firm, maybe like, yeah, bigger firms like Amazon could do that. Um, but I feel like, you know, if, I mean, Republicans would certainly be against it because they're the alliance of like, you know, petty bourgeois and big capital and that would be bad for that coalition. So I don't, I don't know if it would actually go that way, but it's tough to say. It's, it's really complicated, right? And I think like really the most likely thing, if there is some kind of significant cut in police funding on the city level is that there will be a large expansion of policing on the county or like state level. So that is like what people are, are like 
worried about, and that stuff is reasonable. But I'm good, I would make the argument that I think that the prospect of like the disbandment of MPD here is feasible. And not just because of like the kind of like people power, you know, it's got so much momentum behind it thing. I think that there's a real tension between our city council here and MPD. You know, we have a very like, we have a very like liberal city council uh, and the police union is run by Bob Kroll, who is a just monster. I mean, you can go like look up his record. He's a he's a Nazi. You know, he's he was showed up at like a Trump rally and like got a medallion from him or some shit. Like he's a he's a piece of shit. Steve Fletcher, who's the kind of councilman who started conversation about this stuff, wrote a editorial for Time magazine. And he talked about like why he thinks we should disband MPD. You know why now is the time, and he talks about like, you know, I, I proposed mild reforms to the police, and I had noticeable slowdowns in police response in my ward. I had you know small business owners would like call MPD and they'd be like, why don't you go to your councilman about that? You know, this the police force has been flexing their control over the city um, for a really long time. And they're, 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 you know, it's, it's not an original statement to make, but they're an organized, you know, mob. And I think that, um, I think that city council is taking advantage of this moment to advance kind of their political interests and to try to disband the currently existing MPD and build some kind of other you know, public safety slash police force that is, you know, works better for them, that is more easily cowed um, by their political influence. That's very interesting. Because um, that would, yeah, that would, that's why it would be feasible. But, you know, people might not necessarily get what they bargained for here. If that's, if that's the arrangement, if that's like the, that's the power relations taking place here, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's complicated, and I think that, um, but I I do see that as like the the situation, um, and I think that people should be really honest with themselves about that and go into this. You know, that's why I think we shouldn't hand city council the mic, because I think that, you know, they are going to like take advantage of this moment to create a situation that is beneficial for them. If if we're going to get something decent out of this. We have to press on, you know, we have to be able to sustain this, this uprising into some kind of institutional form, as we're talking about. Um, but so there are a lot of roadblocks. Like, a as I say that, you know, we had like a three-year legal battle here over changing the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, we had a legal battle with the state and uh, about whether or not we're allowed to do that. If, if we try to abolish MPD, like disband it completely, <laughs> that will be, you know, puny compared to the kind of absolute hurricane that you're going to see from right. all over. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up at the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. I don't know the law around it, but like, it just seems like they're not, they don't want that to happen. If that, if they set that precedent that like city council can just like get rid of the existing police department and bring in some new body like 
that is pretty scary for like a lot of these um for for a lot of different forces and get, pre- get prepared for a lot of middle-aged fat guys on tv and one of them is going to cry about the twin towers at some point it's going to get re- like it's going to be interesting to see what blue lives matter looks like after this <laughs> you know because i remember i remember after you know trayvon and ferguson and stuff here like i remember it's it it kind of just died down but i used to see blue lives matter shit everywhere Right, so it'll be interesting to see if there's another wave of that. I think uh, undoubtedly, and I think especially because there's already this kind of narrative um, on the right of like Minneapolis as this zone controlled by Sharia law. So, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. actually, I wanted to ask you about never that. Heard that one. Never heard of that. I never heard of that one. Oh yeah, I I lived on the intersection that that. Um, God, I think it was um, Glenn Beck said, yeah, like Sharia law is fully operative. And I was just waiting to get beheaded, but it never happened. I don't know. Yeah, yeah don't you're know. Just sitting there eating, just... eating, like, eating a ham sandwich. Drinking. <laughs> right. They must have missed me. Yeah. Drink, drinking a daiquiri. Um, I was actually going to ask you about, um, this is like a really maybe kind of, maybe this is too vague. I don't know. Uh, but I have, I do have some relatives who kind of live in Minnesota and there's a lot of like, I, from the impression I get hearing from them, mostly secondhand via my parents, there seems to be a lot of like ethnic white ethnic anxiety about like Ethiopian immigrants and stuff like that, um, and like Muslims and things. Is, is that is that something you've observed or? Because um, I imagine like part of the reason maybe like I, one of the reasons I thought maybe Ilan Omar was kind of soft on things early on is precisely out of fear of like backlash towards that community, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, that is definitely, I would say, one of the, like, kind of core tensions of the city. Um, We had, in the early 90s, like, a lot of people, especially um, Somali people, fleeing kind of political, like, fuckery and, like, kind of... Yeah, sorry, it was Somali, my bad, I'm sorry. No, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, Ended up in Minneapolis, and, like, it's, it's just been this kind of, I mean over the past like 20 years there are all these incidents of like you know someone like ramming their car into like somali teenagers in the suburbs or like people getting like threatened with a gun you know like people coming in and like posting up outside of like somali businesses and um and it's it's one of the big kind of tensions between the twin cities and the state at large is kind of this this impression that a lot of people from outside have that the city is like run by uh, Somali interests or like or like yeah like a lot of like Islamophobia you know that like um, Ilhan Omar is like conniving with the city council to fucking uh, uh, implement like to, to sneak Hamas members in through the boundary waters, through the Canadian border, you know, like just a whole lot of horseshit. Um, and so that, I think if this continues, I think that you'll definitely see like that only intensify. Um, although I will say Jake, uh, Ilhan Omar at the rally on Saturday did take a stance for um, disbanding MPD. So, I think, I think she's the first like national level politician uh, from here, at least that I've seen take like a clear stance like that. We'll see how, how that plays out going into the future. Cause I think a lot of, 
a lot of national politicians are even more scared of this stuff than local politicians are. Right. Yeah. So with that kind of conflict as a background, it definitely makes sense that the city council wants to absorb this into a big, long legislative process that will take fucking forever and drain all the energy out of it. Um, asking part of the state to abolish, asking like the representative part of the state to abolish the executive part of the state, or even a part of it is, you know, for all the radical theory we've imbibed, whatever it's worth, like, seen, sounds like nonsense, sounds like it couldn't happen. The ways that it could happen sound potentially frightening because, you know, you could get Pinkertons. Um, we're not exactly sure how to like work alternatives. You know, there are books about this. There is theory about this. Um, there is, you know, there are very small scale attempts to try something like alternatives to this. But again, none of that is stuff that fills us, fills us with an extreme amount of confidence. Um, with this, I don't know, with this kind of picture, I want to bring in um, questions about the sort of changing class content or just the changing social content of the protests as it's been going on. Um, it's something we talked a little bit about off air, but I wanted to get an elaborated version of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the kind of predominant narrative that you see like across the country right now is people frustrated that like, yeah, you're kind of getting the activistification of this thing, you know, like a lot of the people who are like, you know, a lot of like the working class people who are involved in this thing from the jump have, are, are burned out, you know, or are like, like hiding out to avoid arrest. Um, and you get a lot of kind of like, white allies um, putting their bodies in spaces, um, keeping this thing going. That was, that was a lot, a lot, the rally on Saturday, it was a lot more of that, um, you know, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we need everyone to show up, you know, but it, it does feel like a retreat right now. Um, it, it, it feels like, you know, this thing is being pulled um, towards the same kind of things that similar uprisings of the past have been pulled towards then, which is, right. which is just, um, it's getting funneled into official political channels. It's getting fun, like funneled into um, social justice warrior stuff. It's, it's, this kind of social energy is getting funneled into stuff that just doesn't have the same kind of transformative potential as, um, as it did early on. And I think that as like the, I think that this, the state here really did a very good job of kind of instilling mutual fear amongst people because like, you know, early on there was this kind of organic sense of unity. Like I was saying of like, pretty much everyone just being out there like, yeah, like let's fucking give the cops what for. But then as, as time passed and like anxieties spread around like white supremacists around Antifa escalating stuff, you know, around like there were, there was more and more division within the ranks of like, you know, what we should do, what we can do, you know, what a reasonable tactic looks like. And 
there was a brief attempt, I think, you know, I, I wasn't there and I can't be sure, but there was a brief attempt to kind of get around the fifth precinct um, and, and to try to move into that as well. But, and you know, the biggest factor in all this is just that they brought the National Guard in. I mean, we can't fucking do anything against the National Guard. You know, they're just, that they're a brick wall to us. I think that there's a little bit of too much emphasis on the, like, changing content of the protests. Right. Um, versus, like, just that sheer show of force. Like, I think the show of force is the biggest thing that has slowed things down here. But the changing content is real and partially a result, I think, of the show of force. You know, like, right. people are people who are, you know if there's not riots going on, then like the white activists feel comfortable to like come out of their house again, you know, and like maybe sure. do like a walk down the street. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know. I, not that, you know, I have like a super great sense of what's happening everywhere, but it definitely seems like the, the, the solidarity protests have their own dynamics, you know, like some of them, you know, like some of them were sparked by similar incidents and, you know, like have a deeper resemblance to Minneapolis, but a lot of them are, I don't know, operating with a slightly different logic because, you know, it, they're, they're in solidarity and like, uh, some of them got started later, um, for other, I don't know, for other cities, like their expansion. I, I get the sense that, like, Minneapolis, the grift got real hard, real quick. And I'm not saying there's no grift anywhere else, but, like, part of the sort of pacification of this revolt did lead to, yeah, yes, you know, the white activists coming out, but also some of, like, the greater proletariat that might have not really, like, you know, had, I don't, I don't know how to say it, you know, like, didn't want to be involved at first. <laughs> like, Smashy keeps certain people away. And it's, uh, you know, it's not always delineated by class. Like, um, but it's, there's kind of been, um, it's like part of the broad social content that's being, like, pushed out here that the activists have been activated. Um, I don't know. In Minneapolis, it sounds like that's drowned out the voices that are being amplified before. Um, I can't really like speak to what's happening in other cities, but it does seem like I don't know, like I like C Seattle for instance. Um, there's been an attempt to like deepen the uh, you know the radical project there in a way that I'm not sure if that's a sign of that dying off and, you know, sort of lunging at something, or if it's a sign of the momentum or, or what it, whatever. I know in, um, at so just to pivot to my old ass experiences, at Occupy Oakland, when there is an attempt to establish, you know, the, the quote, the Oakland commune, by that point, like, Smashy had been going on for a while, and there was definitely diminishing returns, like, like, um, a lot of the sort of greater population was alienated. But then again, you know, Occupy didn't have as much resonance for as long as this had. Um, so I, I don't know, like, it seems like there's been occupation efforts that 
lined up more with some of the initial like enthusiasm this time. I, I mean, I could say like, I guess just kind of one thing I've observed in terms of the changing composition of the protests, it was kind of stark here in that the first two big actions um, were in working class districts um, and subsequent actions have not been. Uh, they've been basically either downtown, which is pretty much unoccupied except for office buildings and like South Tampa, which is like the rich part of town. Um, and this seemed to coincide interestingly with um, this kind of pivot that I've heard has happened in a lot of cities where um, the cops have basically stood down like a hundred percent. Like you don't even see them there except for maybe like a couple cars guarding the highway exits. Um, and I think that is actually also a very interesting pivot. Uh, it's, it seems as though, I think on a larger level, they basically recognize that, you know, they're, they're, they're once, even though Donald Trump's an idiot, like once you, once they've called in the national guard, the cops have pretty much failed at their jobs. So there seems to be like this broader recognition that this has shifted into more of a protest phase, or even if it hasn't, maybe it's tactically advantageous for the police to just take their hands off and just whatever happens, happens. And then it's all hundred percent on the protest protesters and then they'll either march around in circles till they get tired or something bad will happen but it'll be hey you know we we tried to you know help you and people just got mad at us and threw rocks at us so what do you what the fuck are you gonna do that's what i heard from seattle i i um have been kind of trying to listen to people on the ground there and it seems like there was a really like malicious attempt by police to try to goad people into destroying the precinct there um, followed by uh, the police talking over their scanner about like, oh, there's Proud Boys marching in. They're, they've got guns. Oh, my God. You know, and it was just a complete like horseshit story of just trying to like stir people up to like do something that would not be like looked at uh, well by like the general population. And they managed to avoid that, which I feel like was pretty like if, if my idea of what happened there is correct um that's that feels like a advance you know for us or for like this stuff like the people were able to be like no you know this is a trap like let's not do this like that's 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 pretty smart you know yeah yeah i i don't know i've got i've gotten the sense that like that the phase that i guess has weakened um the content in minneapolis and i guess uh tampa as well has um i don't know has like broadened like sort of like broadened the appeal in like other like solidarity like cities and yeah or other solidarity protests and i think what you said about trump bringing out the fucking national guard can't really be overstated um in new york you know the curfews like really changed the way that people protested like it made the protesters much more timid there was a week of curfews put on in the city that never sleeps <laughs> after all this like whining about how we were locked down on coronavirus we actually had curfews and the protests seemed to get much more tame so i i would guess that new york has a similar um dynamic to minneapolis well, and, and like the vanillaization of the like the protests, that's kind of, I think, where like the COVID thing actually does kind of play in um, because you, you get more, I guess, people who 
maybe aren't as, you know, insanely pissed off and just kind of want to show support, but are maybe more, aren't, aren't like either hyper politicized or just so pissed off that they're just willing to start burning shit. Um, cause I, I mean, like I literally, cause you know, like all the conventions have been canceled and shit like that. And so like, I literally saw some people in costumes there. Like I saw like some girl was dressed as like spider Gwen. Um, I don't know what that was supposed to like signify, um, there was some weeaboo with like this weird like smiley face mask on and like hot topic gear, like riding around on a skateboard. You know, like there like it's there's a lot of people where it's like, yeah, this is the collective thing to do right now and I'm um you know, I'm not being selfish by doing it. Yeah. Um I mean it's obviously goofy and to the to the extent that this actually like drowns out, you know, black and pro voices here that that sucks, but um I don't know. I guess I'm hesitant to, like, say that, you know, it, it's sealed in the stars, that this is, like, this is the end. Like, um, because if this, because, because I think what, what, uh, I think Cole, this is what you said before, that, you know, the police, or maybe this was Jake. Anyway, what was said before, that, you know, letting the protesters kind of, letting the protests run their course, you know, letting the, the cops taking a step back not wanting to overplay their hand, um, not wanting to feed into the dynamic, kind of allowing things to kind of sputter out. Um, I don't know, where that dynamic is playing out. Um, oh, God damn, I lost my train of thought. Shit is crazy. I, I, well, can, I, mean, I, I, I can't fucking believe it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting into the prediction business uh, anymore. Uh, that's no, no, not, no. Although I will say this one, one prediction I will make right now, uh, I think this year is so fucking crazy. I think like the Epstein stuff will re-blow up by the year's end, and <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll get like, like the some of the real shit will spill out. I think that's gonna happen okay. this year. Okay, Jake. I am proclaiming it and I am visualizing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's tough to say which way it's gonna go. Um, I mean, it does sound like in Minneapolis because of. It seems like this will vary upon local conditions. It sounds like what you said about kind of the power arrangement between uh, the the frustration of the city council with the police department there has created an opening that they're taking advantage of politically. Which, um, is, you know, uh, while cynical, I do recognize, I do, I do admire the boldness of that move. You know, uh, but w- w- no matter how cynical it is, if you're gonna, especially in the United States, where you know, like the police are almost, I, I think somebody in like the Weekly Worker recently compared them to like almost like a, it's its own like institution in civil society, and it's huge. You know, it's like it's almost like a, in a way, it's almost like a civic religion or a cult or something. You know, um, and so the the outsized influence it has in society. So for them to basically like, you know, oh, you're gonna you're gonna push us around and threaten you know the businesses that pay me. Well, fuck you. Right, so they have an opening there. There's probably a lot of other places where there is a lot of slack, and they are probably looking to trim things up for the police anyway. Um, but you know, it, it's really but the overriding like because the thing about policing is there's so much policing because like society to a certain extent is falling apart. Right, you had this you had the war on drugs, which is the war on the poor that came as a result of like deindustrialization. You have these surplus populations. What happens with that? What happens when more people are hungry? They steal shit. So you need more cops because they're not fixing the problems. So on a local level, really, um, it is a holistic problem. Like defunding the police 
Um, I guess that's where kind of like the right people are, the rightists or the right DSA types or the Michael Tracy types or whoever's pushing these, this line is right, is that it would kind of just be like a form of austerity and it wouldn't, um, you would probably just get more chaos, which would probably fuel a further right-wing reaction. Like you need, a, you would need war on a local level, like sewer socialism. You would need, um, in a sense, for there to be more policing, and in, in the sense that you would have like, fo- you wouldn't just have like these social janitors and thugs of the state coming into situations and either shooting your dog, or just pulling like the human wreckage out of chaotic situations like domestic abuse and stuff like that and just kind of locking somebody up right you would have like you know like healthcare and like social workers and uh resources for people to turn their fucking lives around you know you would have working class control you know like all of these things that you would have a different you need to begin moving towards uh you know a different society <laughs> you would need to have you would need to have a society and you would need to do all that holistically. Otherwise, yeah, if you just kind of got rid of the cops, absent anything else, yeah, you're just going to feel reaction. Well, not only that, but I'm not sure how, like, sewer socialism actually addresses the problem of state. And it's just something that we don't really have an answer for. That's why, like, you know, no matter how flawed, like, whatever is going to come out of the Seattle communists, I'm just glad that, you know, someone is, like, making a conversation about, like, power and about an alternative form of power and an alternative form of... Um, you know, like dealing with shit that isn't status. Like what, what I was going to say before is that like, you know, the, the way that the cops are dealing, the way the cops are pulling, God fucking damn it, it's the loudest goddamn train I've ever heard. Now that I remember what I'm going to say, it's goddamn train. Um, it's calling you. It's, t- it's time to ride the rails. We're almost in a depression. Calling. Yeah, the anarchists were right. You know, hop a damn train. Yeah. Burn down an Applebee's. Get ten roommates. Yeah, get your shit together. Um, <laughs> okay. So, um, like, the cops pulling out and kind of letting people, you know, run wild. The cops pulling out and letting people run wild is a sort of exaggeration of a tendency that they already have in a lot of, like, poor areas, you know, with the exception of, like, shooting people every so often. Like, Jesus Christ, this probably sounds like spoons just being dragged across the chalkboard. Um, can you hear that? I can't imagine why you want to move. It sounds yeah. like the ghost of Christmas past is there. Okay, all right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that I'm not uh, wasting valuable airtime. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is the longest fucking train I've ever seen. I think they're just, like, smuggling the National Guard in, like, coal cars. Yeah, yeah, there's probably tanks under tarps. Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen anything like this before. But, and it's also, you know, sabotaging our revolutionary propaganda. Anyway. I mean, just keep going. It's fine. That, that yeah, might yeah. be my shipment of mech suits. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Super soldiers and uh, kaiju. Okay. Um, so... The, the police tendency to pull out and kind of let, like, <laughs> let the community discredit itself or something is a strategy that they're already using. This is an exaggerated form of it. Um, attempts to, like, uh, envision alternative kinds of, you know, power structures to the police, like the Seattle Commune, no matter how imperfect, are at least, you know, an attempt to answer the question of power in a non-statist way. 
Um, sewer socialism, while you know it, it would solve a bunch, it would at least like address a bunch of the problems that you know lead to you know crime and stuff, doesn't necessarily like answer the question of state. And I genuinely wonder how close to this society, like and like you said, Jake, how close to the society we can actually have that does solve, you know, that vital question. I don't know if you said that specifically, but I think that was like underneath what you were saying so that you have to move to a different kind of society. Um, and I guess like when you have a holdout like uh, the Seattle Commune, or I, I even feel this way about your um, sort of occupied hotel, like Sheraton thing, Cole, uh, not that it's yours personally, but you know, what's going on in Minneapolis uh, that um, if the state fucks up again, while one of these things is operative, it actually has a chance. There's like a spark that can like be partially like animating for that sort of project. And you know, in a way, like you kind of have to rely on something like that. Cause you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how else you keep something like that going because it's, you know, labor intensive and resource intensive. Like, having the, you know, the vanillification and the NGO like types kind of flood in is a um, temporarily helpful, but a poison pill um, because, you know, there's a certain content being brought in with them. Uh, all the same, like, you know, potentially with the solidarity protests, again, we're in a big system and all the state has to do is fuck up somewhere for things to get uh, raunchy again, you know, like, it's not impossible. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, like, it's hard for me to see how this goes forward without something like that. Well, one thing I said, I'm getting out of the prediction business, but one thing I will say is that, you know, bank on more destabilization. Um, if not short term, then definitely long term. You know, this is this is the beginning of a larger process of the wheels coming off and the contradictions coming out into the open. Um, and beginning to play out in a way that is more and more apparent to more people. And I think the task that we really have is it's a matter it's only a matter of time before I think this thing really fails, but it's to help people to draw the right lessons from it and to see the need for, I think deeper like long form organization um, that really engages like masses of people and, um, not just fall into you know nihilism and uh you know going like full doomer as uh you know as tempting as that may be just to build off um what you guys are saying you know i jake i think your prediction is a good one we still have you know desert camo like hummers you know platoons of them passing by like passing through like residential streets every day you know there's still this kind of even though stuff has kind of gone back to normal um there's still a, a strong sense of kind of tension in the air here and i i wouldn't be surprised if um something were to pop it off again over the next like week or two whether that be something from the federal response to this or something from a local response or something that happens elsewhere. Um, the other thing that I will say that I think is complicated, but we need to be aware of in the, in this city, in the context of the city is that 
the community patrols that popped up over the past week gave probably tens of thousands of people in this city a real sense of what it feels like to take some kind of agency over their own lives. Even though I think the threats of like white supremacist violence were overblown to some extent, I think that, um, you know, what really happened was that the police and the fire department just wouldn't show up for a few days. If you called 911 on May 30th, May 31st, you were not going to get through to someone. And that was like shocking, I think, to a lot of people here. And um, they were like, well, I guess we have to do this shit ourselves. And now they have experience doing that. And it was chaotic. But I think like the reaction that I've heard from everybody to that is like, wow, that felt really good. I really liked being able to like go around and talk to people and feel like I was like doing something for the people I live with, you know, the people I live alongside and, and, you know, my only like relationship to them is like, sometimes I see them on their bed eating Cheetos without pants through the window, you know, like that, that I think is a big shift. And I think that also people kind of are seeing this and seeing how effective it's been. My, I had a conversation with my mom the other day and she told me, I don't think I'm a pacifist anymore. Um, you know, and she's no like, she's like a Howard Zinn kind of, you know, like lady, like she's cool, but she's like a nonprofit employee. You know what I mean? She doesn't have that kind of, she wasn't like riot, riot. But like after seeing what has happened from this, you know, the local university, the local school district divesting from the police. And and I, I will also say like, for myself personally, like, it's hard for me to feel blackpilled right now because of just how buoyed I am at the at what's happening here. The first thing I ever did politically was pass a pamphlet out um, about police brutality at my high school that is like five blocks away from all this shit that was happening. And now, like a week ago, Minneapolis public schools voted to uh, get all the cops out of their schools. Like Damn. that is, that is such a, like, it's so fucking cool to see that. And like, I think I'm not the only one who feels like, wow, like this shit has really fucking paid off locally in a lot of ways. Now that doesn't mean that we won or anything, you know what I mean? But um, I think that the excitement and the sense of possibility is still very, like, very strong amongst a lot of people here. And, um, my, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a project that I'm working on here going forward. Um, if, if this feels like something that could be helpful in other cities, um, some people from this neighborhood group and I got together and we were like, you know, we know that this isn't going to be solved right now. We want to find some way to get in this for, for the long run. And so we're forming kind of a, I don't know quite what to call it, but it's like a learning initiative, um, kind of a mix of like a educational thing and like workers self inquiry to just kind of provoke conversations in community about what abolition could look like and to direct people to projects that kind of are creating abolition or creating 
the potential basis for abolition in our city today. So like, you know, we're planning within the next week or two to just go door knocking around our blocks and like be like, hey, you know, what do you think of everything that happened over this, these past two weeks? Um, like, what do you think of this idea of like defunding the police or abolishing the police? Does that sound cool? What are your concerns? You know, I mean, this is to a large extent still like an activist slogan. And so like, there will need to be like conversations had and there will need to be kind of more kind of positive experiences of community self-management, of, of self-assertion you know, uh, in order for people to believe that truly a world you know, without kind of an armed wing of the state is, it would be possible to be safe in that world. But I think that the experience of the past two weeks have started that momentum. You know? And if that slows, then that can only be our fault, or I'll put it a different way. Like it's our responsibility to continue that momentum, to continue, you know, providing, like creating opportunities for people to get involved with the direction of their own lives, um, to express their agency, to assert themselves onto society in a way that is both like, self-expressive and expressive of a communal self-interest. Um, and that has started to happen here, you know, and, and I think that, I think that we do have the momentum to continue that. And I, and if anything gets done politically, it'll be because that has continued, you know? Um, so that is my kind of orientation to going into this year. And I'm 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 kind of fucking excited. I'm kind of fucking hyped. I have to be Hell honest yeah. with you. Hell yeah. Cole, I don't say I don't say this to every guest, but sounds like you're doing the Lord's work down there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Honestly, like And and uh, I think that's probably a good as good a place as any to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, it's been an hour and a half. Oh yeah! Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, um, Cole. I share I, sh I share your optimism, honestly. Like uh, this, like it's been super easy to be black pilled and you know black mirror about life. But uh, you know, especially I think the coronavirus was a, a kind of a hard nadir, and um, seeing explosions, of people giving you shit, is like really inspiring. So I don't know. Thank you for coming on and, and discussing all this. Um, it's it's this is like. A unique time you know like we're not like crazies anymore this, this is like people care about this now this is real life <laughs> yeah like you she you like you she i've seen so many memes where it's like the oh, sheeple God. when they realize that you know you were right all along or whatever <laughs> no but i mean like why 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 was this a fringe issue ever because it was yeah like, why like it's it's not it's not about being right it's just you know personally it's about like this stopping sometime <laughs> like um we'll probably cut it like some point in your in your uh sign off because that was really good <laughs> we're just a jerk off on the internet now this is all this is all staying in yeah every last you know, bit and i i feel like i mean like what yeah thank you guys so much for having me and like you know, I just want to emphasize, like, I, I'm, this is very preliminary, and, like, who knows if this is going to work, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, well, I don't want to be too, like, Pollyanna about it, but, you, like, 
No, you said this on a podcast now, and if it doesn't happen, boy, will you look stupid. Well, do we demand accountability from our representatives? I I wouldn't want to go through a swamp side struggle session. That sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) For patrons only. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me on. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you both. Yeah, that's been a good conversation. Um, yeah. it's, it's good to hear what's. It's, it's good to get a perspective. It's always good to get a perspective from on the ground. And uh, the mutual aid stuff is an angle that I wasn't super aware of, and that's uh, that's very encouraging to hear. 